Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com. .au and available on podcast.com, Google Play, Apple iTunes, uh, TuneIn Radio and wherever you get your good podcasts and indeed some of your bad ones. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso and very excited to do uh, an area that the bench and splinters have never really done before in terms of um, in terms of sports reporting and sports investigation and that is into the world of cycling. It's been over a hundred years that cycling has been operating within uh, Australia as a whole and cycling New South Wales, uh, well over a hundred years worth of, uh, of history. And one man has decided to take it upon himself to assist with the archiving of some of the most amazing documentation that you'll see within any sport in, in Australia. You, you need to go to the likes of something like a cricket or surf lifesaving to get the kind of documented history that we have here today. And so I'm very excited to introduce Warren Donnelly. Warren, good afternoon and welcome to Splinters. Thank you, Anthony. It's good to be here and uh, certainly a, I guess, unique and interesting sport and um, both from a competitive point of view and from a, um, I guess, general participation point of view from people and uh, families over many, many years. So let's let's go into it a little bit because one of the big areas that we obviously need to mention straight off the bat is the is the tremendous growth that's been uh, occurring within cycling and certainly uh, the recent Australian Sports Participation Survey that came out really shows how fast cycling has come over the last few years. Yeah, look, that was actually quite interesting. So May this year, um, two thousand nineteen, um, Sports Australia issued that cycling had um, climbed to the fifth on the ladder as being a um, participating sport for, and physical activity with a participation rate of 2.3 million, which even surprised me. And I guess that is also from a very relaxing style point of view to a competitive point of view. 2.3 million is a lot of people um, from cycling. Well, that's we're talking the likes. We're talking just under 10% of the entire population engages in some sort of cycling activity. It's a, it's a, that is an amazing statistic. Yeah, well, I think even if you look at yourself, you'll see families going out on weekends, those sorts of things. You'll see bunch riders going out, one from a competitive or training point of view, or just a relaxation. Like there's actually uh, a group in Camaray that just call themselves the Camaray Roadies. So, yeah, they sometimes don't race, but they're actually going out for regular runs in groups. And even areas like Lane Cove, they actually start from there as well. Now, let, we talk about a couple of the, um, we've spoken about a couple of the um, the groups and organisations already in, that operate within cycling, but the one that has the casual fan really interested, and we're going to start off there, uh, sort of a general point, um, is the three grand tours, the three grand world tours. And these events are now so big and have such an interest is that now they're actually being shown on television live. And of course, we are talking about the Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France and the Veloce de Spagna. That's correct. So the, um, the, you often talk about you only maybe race, if you're a professional cyclist, 
you would only maybe race in two of those, or two of those three. No one has ever won all three, but I mean, we, we only need to talk about the amazing record that someone like Cadell Evans had when he won the 2011 Tour de France, and then recently Michael Matthews winning the green jersey at the Tour de France last year. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's been going on for many years and getting right popularity. Even last weekend I was watching on SBS because they're very um, high su um, supporters of the um, cycling event. Um, they're actually re even replaying um, the Tour de France from this year, earlier in the year. So, you know, a few decades ago, you would never ever see that on TV, let alone ever being written up in the paper. And then we come to our, our own feature event, which is now considered part of the World Grand Prix, is the Tour Down, Down Under. Um, funnily enough, it's only a very recent event, started in 1999 by uh, Premier at the time, John Olsen. And the only reason he started it was because he needed a replacement for the Australian Grand Prix. That possibly could be true. Yeah. And, and it is actually on the UCI World um, Tour, uh, and it's in the January every year, which is damn hot in Adelaide, um, but it certainly has become a feature after that. Um, and, of course, after that event, um, Cadell Evans, after his 2011 success and since he's retired, has got his great Ocean Road race um, following on that over from Geelong at the end of January. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of interest in that race and it certainly kicks off the year. Jeez, Great Ocean Road, that would... I know that would still probably be occurring in the middle of summer, but of, of all the places you could go riding, I could think of far worse in the middle of summer along the Great Ocean Road. Well, let's hope there's some breezes heading the right way behind you. Absolutely. So we we talk about the, um, the I guess, the, the world stage of cycling. When we come into Australia, it's... It's rather interesting to see because in Europe it is the the competition of the major spike uh, cycling organisations. The competition is quite fierce, but here in Australia it, it's still got quite a uh, some would say more of an amateur feel to it, but certainly a relaxation or a casual sports feel about it. Well, I wouldn't say I'm the comp competitors cyclists wouldn't tell you that, <laughs> but there certainly is, uh, I guess, overall not as highly populated in those areas. But look, I mean, I think the, as you said, the Tour Down Under, tele televised on TV now. Um, also, there's a whole bunch of supporting events before and after these races as well. So they certainly are contributing to it. I think um, even in the press of recent times through the Tour, some of the local papers pick them up. Um, so they actually are getting a lot more publicity. But again, it's like any competitive sport. Um, if you're in a small niche sport like archery or some other sport, uh, they don't get as much publicity because you don't have a high spectator. Um, I was at Dunk Ray Velodrome last weekend, and I mean, really, that I think during the Olympics, the 2000 Olympics, it actually had a um, capacity crowd of 9,000, but it only has a capacity crowd now of 3,000. So, you know, even as a spectator sport, there's not many at the velodrome who can actually see that um, on each evening. And, this, of course, this is the velodrome down in Bass Hill. Yeah, up there, Bass Hill there, yeah. yeah. So let's, let's, let's look at the, the, the scene within Sydney. Um, you've got a number of annual rides, and a couple of these are going to be bringing up, and we'll go through the other historical ones a little bit later on. But um, obviously the the... One of the big ones that we've got here is the Sydney Spring Cycle, I think, from North Sydney to the Olympic Park. And then the other one, which I think has probably got the most publicity in terms of a casual or maybe a charity event, is the uh, MS the MS ride from Sydney to Wollongong. That's right. The Gong ride, as it was originally known, uh, has been going for over 38 years. And uh, I think in the last couple of years, and certainly this year, it's limited to 10,000 entrants. 
So really from a, a participation point of view in one day, that is a lot of people cycling um, from Sydney down to the Gong now. And, and, and the amazing support, of course, that they give to the Multiple Sclerosis um, Society, which is um, certainly an, an, an organisation doing an amazing amount of work for a medical condition that is, you know, severely debilitating. Yes, so. that's very good. And I think you'll find there's a series of a whole other bike rides um, that actually get done. Um, you know, the polypedal ride, which has been going for 22 years, those sorts of things, even the challenge tour before and after the tour down under, they all get related to a charity. So I think at least some people are trying to make sure that they're connecting um, charity and donations and actually having a worthwhile event for, for cycling. Well, the polypedal is a fascinating one in particular because, of course, it was an event that was started up by Tony Abbott and Kevin Andrews, who are both considered to the right of, of politics. But it's been one of the few events where you see all sides of politics really put their differences aside, actually get involved with it. And I think recently they've been using that money to raise funds for the rural fire, for the rural fire service. Yeah, they may so, too. I'm not quite sure, but I think they yeah. do have certain charities and yeah. rotate their charities. But again, that's been, so some of these things over the years, that's been going 22, Gongaway's been going 38. Uh, like even in Victoria, the great uh, Victorian bike ride, that's got 4,000 riders that over 10 days, they actually travel 680 kilometers. Jesus, that's, and those and those stages that they'd be covering over the course of the day, we're talking, you know, a couple of hundred kilometers. No, look, they're, you know, 10 days, 680 kilometers, about 60, 70 kilometers a day. But I mean, they've got um, camps and tents and they do logistically a lot, yeah. of, a lot of activity. Um, but look, it's becoming quite good. And and that's it. even the the La Tap tour, um, which is an offshoot from the Tour de France. Yeah, down near the Snowy Mountains, that's there as well. And there's a whole series of Grand Fondos. Uh, one I've never been to, but it's certainly interesting from the people you talk to. Is the Peach Challenge down at Falls Creek? Yeah, there's a couple of other ones which um, I think are still running today. And the one you you've, one you've um, may have mentioned beforehand, which is an absolute, which is a very big one now, Grafton to Inverell. Yeah, look, the, that race has been going for quite a long time. And in fact, one of the reasons why I guess you and I got together was um, um, when my father passed away in 2013, um, he had collected a whole series of, uh, I guess, programs and memorabilia. And uh, look, I've got here today just showing you that I've got the original um, Grafton to Inverell program here from 16th of September, 1961. So that's been going since 61 and it's still an active. Uh, I think to this day, it's still the largest, or sorry, longest single one day event uh, in Australia. I'd have to check it, but I th it, that was the one that started off has been going since 61. Well, that'd be that'd be a massive ride because I'm just, I'm just trying to picture in my head, Grafton to Inverell, you're talking, you're talking close to, I imagine it's 300, uh, what, a couple of hundred kilometers for the ride itself. So. I'd have to go and check that, Anthony, mm. but no, I don't have those numbers, but it is a long, uh, 142 miles, so it says here on the program. 140, yep. 142 miles, yeah, you'd be, yeah, you'd be pushing 250, 260 kilometers for the, for that ride, so. Yeah. And I've got, I know your program audience goes out, mm. so things like in 1961, um, your local Manny Oringa cycle club as it was then, uh, there was a, on the program here, it doesn't say the first names, but R. Smith and G. Back, they yeah. were there. Uh, and even I know some famous riders from the, the Manly Club, D. Humphreys, were off scratch in 64. Uh, now, this was a, um, of course, we should mention that these were handicap events, weren't they? Yeah, well, they're all handicap events in these yeah. ones in this area. Uh, but you've got Merchant, Redhead, and I think the Bru Cruft brothers started riding there too. So, yeah, that, that's a pretty large event and it's been going well. The current CEO, 
uh, of Cycling New South Wales, Graham Sears. He actually won that event and started racing up there as well. Now, how, how would a handicap um, event like this um, work? It's Because obviously you're trying to create as close as a competition as possible. Um, are we talking something along the lines of classifications, say, similar to the Sydney to Hobart, or would we be, be looking at individual capabilities from it? Well, no, so Sydney and Hobart's a, a bit of an interesting one. Yeah, they all start together, and yeah. then they have a handicap event, which is actually the amount of minutes or, or time after the, the first finisher. So the cycling is that they actually do have, you know, of course, the fastest or the best riders on scratch, Yeah, and then the others start beforehand, whether that be... 30 minutes, 40 minutes, uh, 60 minutes ahead of the pack. Sure. So I guess um, that's how, yeah, these races are. They try to do a handicap throughout the season on performances. Yeah. But uh, if you've ever been on that rough Moonbury roll, it's not an easy ride. I can I can imagine, absolutely. The A couple of the other men, uh, rides that are happening or the annual races that have been occurring around Sydney, um, a, couple of, a couple of the interesting ones, one around Lake Macquarie, the Loop the Lake, um, right around the lake, of course, down in down around Lake Illawarra. Um, Wollombi has the the so called wild ride. All right. So, um, which would have been quite interesting. Cootamundra, oh, not yeah. normally known as a, as a cycling location. Um, but then you've got a couple as well, and I think maybe you've got um, Gunnedatta Tamworth, another one of the the bigger country rides as yeah. well. Yeah, Musselbrook to Tamworth, that was yeah. one of the rides. Um, that was a very interesting ride back in its day. They, they were sort of all going through, and then even rides around Sydney to Bathurst, Bathurst to Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Those sorts of rides were around. Uh, and I guess the, the f most famous of them all was the Goulburn to Sydney or Sydney to Goulburn bike rides. Yeah. So, so they were actually quite famous um, back in those days. Well, let's, let's, talk about the, let's talk about the Sydney to Goulburn because we've got, we've got one right over here, the, the program from 1958 starting at um, in the boulevard in the middle of Enfield and all the way down to... Goulburn, of course, going along what what is now the Hume Highway on the way to Canberra, that would probably be one of the most picturesque uh, rides around. But do my eyes deceive me? The organising club for this, the Arpia, the Arpia Club. It was the Arpia Club. And interesting, Arpia had a strong history, I guess, because of the Italians settling in Australia. And I think for your social media, they were in Leichhardt and Brookvale. Yep. Um, and so from that point of view... The club was down at Leichhardt near Pratton Park where the Arpia Soccer Club started yep. and they were trying to get a bunch of sporting people together and, and coming from an Italian heritage, uh, cycling was a strong part of that Italian heritage. Of course it is. Uh, I mean, only recently and you only need to look at the performance if you're going to use the grand tours of uh, Francesco Nibali in the, and his record at the Tour de France. Yep. So, but, um, of course, as you mentioned, the Arpia Club, famous across Australia as one of the premier football clubs, um, but the cycling one, not one that people would know about, but as you mentioned, certainly a very rich history in it. Yeah, certainly a very rich history. And uh, at this stage, um, they sponsored the city to Goulburn uh, for many, many years. And I, while I do have a program, I've got a lot of these programs that my father had collected over the years yeah. um, going right through. And then of recent times, um, once... Um, Sponsors changed, or the club was sponsoring that race. They then changed, and they then say for a nine, 1967, they then had their own race, mm. which actually started outside the clubhouse in Leichhardt, 
and went all the way up um, the mountains to Wilberforce and came back. And it was called the RPO 100. Yeah. So it was um, promoted and like this one here was actually sponsored by Pellegrino. San Pellegrino, the the bottle, the drink, the sparkling water yeah, company. The, yeah, the sparkling water country from Cantarella Brothers who still operate today. Yeah. And they imported it around. So they were very strong um, supporters. And so today, if you look at um, some of the history of that club, and of course all these races, um, have started to be stopped because of the traffic flow and um, policing have to try to get the roads blocked off and all those sorts of things, provide quarantine conditions or sterile conditions if you can. And of course that becomes more difficult over time as it's traffic flow and the um, expanse of Sydney uh, widened. Well, you, you mentioned that. It's quite interesting you do mention that in terms of the organisation of these events. At a previous um, employer that um, our um, CEO at the time, a gentleman by the name of Doug Meisner, um, that's this is when my time working for liquor marketing group worked very connected with the Bayfields. If you're listening in, um, they had a charity event to raise money for cancer uh, called the Smile for Smitty ride, which used to change locations every year. But one year that I was there in particular, although I didn't ride in it, my job was actually to designate the track, and they decided to do it from a do a four day ride from Sydney all the way up to Newcastle and back, but they'd actually go via um, Wiseman's, they went via Wiseman's Ferry and through the um, through the Hunter Valley. Yes, I mean, those sorts of rides I think so, are very good. I also think for, if you look at some of the current conditions, the drought and the bushfires in hmm. New South Wales and around the country, I think um, some of these cycling events have actually been quite good and productive for country towns. And I think the government and other organisations could get together and do a bit more three or four day tours based out of certain individual country towns. Now, it was, there's an interesting story that comes about from RPO itself, because of course they had this original Sydney to Goulburn, which eventually they were, the, the event, they were no longer associated with the event, but they started a new one. I think you said it went all the way up to Brooklyn and back. Ah, uh, lecture well, I just checked all that, we went yeah. up to Wilberforce. Wilberforce, Yeah, sorry. and yeah. back. So, yeah, so it was quite a good uh, race in its day. In fact, I, I was brought up in Five Dock and it was very just up the road from there. Yeah. So it was quite good in all sorts of riders. And if you go today, um, say in the Northern Suburbs Bike Club, um, you yeah, know, that's got a long history from back in the 1930s. But the Arpia Cycling Club, um, of course, has some Italians as the background. And there was also cycling, I guess, history that formed. There was a Hornsby Club and a Northern Suburbs Club. But the Northern Suburbs Club actually came and the RP Club finally finished. And so there's a whole bunch of riders, uh, especially the Spessets, um, who were from an um, Italian background, who yeah. were the North Shore, they were, they were originally in the Arpia Club. So look, it actually has a long history uh, in, in that regard. Now, the can I, the, one of the big things that you'd obviously be looking at is a lot of these clubs would be a mixture of maybe social and very competitive um, cyclists. If you had ambitions, to progress to the elite level, what direction would you have taken? Would you still be connected with a cycling club as your base and then progress up the chain, say, aiming to get part of the Olympic squad or if you had ambitions to maybe go to the professional level over in Europe, then try and connect yourself up with a cycling team? Look, I think there's, there's a couple of channels. If you're trying to represent your country in certain areas as it has now, and this has changed over time, between when it was amateur and professional. Mm. But again, uh, like the um, Goulburn race, the, the Grafton and Varel, RPA, all these races, all the clubs in New South Wales, 
uh, are affiliated with Cycling New South Wales. So from a competitive point of view, the clubs affiliate to Cycling New South Wales. Then New South Wales then has a series of championships, whether it be road or track. Right. And then you will either win and I'll have the certain disciplines. And so that's how you then go then to the Australian Championships. So out of those, then they will then select an Australian team, which might be uh, through Commonwealth Games or uh, Empire Games, as it was, or, or the Olympic Games. So look, yes, there is that sort of chariot. Eventually, a cyclist, depending on how good they are, will then turn around like Cadell and just turn around and say, OK, fine, I'm just going to go and ride for the BMC cycling team. Um, and they'll go through that channel of events. And nowadays, those sort of cyclists um, do get selected to ride for Australia to the World Championships or, or at Commonwealth Games. And one of the big things with it as well is that we're now starting to see the how competitive the cycling at the, um, I guess, not only the, ro- the, the track, which we've always known to be competitive, but now the road competition, how competitive that gets. And we're actually finding the standard that we're seeing at the international uh, representation event as opposed to cycling teams has now become much more fierce because obviously the quality is getting better and better over the last, especially over the last 10 years. Of course, and some of the technology also has gotten better too with the carbon fiber bikes and all those sorts of things back in the older days that, you know, that were still um, frame bikes and all that sort of thing. So yeah, all that sort of technology. And, and if you see some of the speeds they're running down on some of those three big tours, they're running at, you know, 60 kilometers an hour for 10, 10 or so kilometres for ages. Especially when they've completed their, their gruelling mountain climb and all of a sudden they can kick back and just and start their descent for the for the sprint to finish. Well, that sounds very stages. easy, Anthony, yes, yeah. but it, it, it's a lot <laughs> of hard work. Well, especially when you've just done maybe like a 20K uh, climb at, uh, at HC standard yes. to get yourself up the top of the Alps and then to get that relieving run as part of it. The... The fascinating thing that we that you'll often see, we're going to get into that into the second half where we start to look more at the northern corridor of cycling in particular, um, has often been sort of that interaction between the organisations across the greater Sydney region. A lot of these events, I can imagine, even though they're, they're organised by a particular club or an organisation, they would probably still get input not only from other clubs but then also someone like a cycling in new south wales in terms of running the event would there would there be that much cooperation with these with these kinds of events or did the clubs tend to keep to themselves if they were organizing a ride like this well there was a two i guess a couple of things and i'm talking about you know 60s 1970s when i used to ride and i've seen of recent times but you know some clubs will have their own event yeah uh, and that's because they're their own like a track um the Tempe Velodrome now, or Camperdale Velodrome is at Wiles Wiley Park. Yeah. Um, or as it is, um, Cycling New South Wales, his office is actually at Dunkeray Velodrome. Uh, and that can be used by several um, bike clubs in New South Wales. Um, or you've got Heffron Park out near the eastern suburbs, and that's um, Botany, uh, Botany Club. So what happens is the clubs can run their own races on their own circuits. Yeah. Um, I think Banktown Sports Club at Lansdowne, Masters, um, they race out at um, Eastern Creek um, and at Lansdowne as well. Um, or uh, under the auspices of Cycling New South Wales, um, they will run an event and get sponsors and then they're called Opens or because you've got a racing licence, you can race on in those races as well. And so they... they- they would organise it and they'd probably have a schedule that they were trying to run so that even if it's not their own event, they may try and get some their own representation to the other events as well. Yeah, so. yeah, they may do that. So, yeah, so some of the clubs can run their own events and invite other clubs. 
Um, I think there's a couple of clubs now that actually have a, a, a bit of a banter up the West Head in that. I think there's five clubs that run, run against each other up there, but that's their own inter-club sort of um, riding. Sure. So the it, it's an amazing collection here, and I think in the second half of the the show we're going to go we'll go a little bit more into it but already i can see a couple of events and we'll go into greater detail so the schoolboys side one from the i guess one of the bigger clubs that we've seen the manly warringah um amateur cycling club but then also a couple of clubs up in the northern in the northern corridor which are existing to these days and i think one of the things we'll mention as well is that more and more clubs now are, are actually connected with major cycling shops as well yeah yeah so, so look again, going back to this, like my father had raced um, for a couple of clubs and how come I got a bit more of an interest in this in recent times is um, he'd originally raced for Lincoln Morbin. He was brought up in Leichhardt and his family decided to, uh, because of the uh, war came, move them to Concord of all places, at least uh, five kilometres further west now, from the war. I'm curious to know about this because the, the inner west itself, as we've sort of seen from some of the stats, is actually quite popular in terms of um, in terms of cycling. And you would have thought five areas around Five Dock and Leichhardt would be absolutely amazing for cycling. So I'm curious to know not only Concord, I can sort of see Concord, but then Lidcombe, Auburn, all the way out there. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think if you go back in those days, like if you go back to it, um, I think the um, Harbour Bridge didn't start being built to the 1929 or somewhere around there. Not completed until 1932. Yes. Yeah, so what actually happened is, apart from ferries and that, there was actually no roads to the north side of the harbour. So that corridor, the Western Corridor, um, out west, was the areas where they were the, uh, the cycling or other activities and sports grounds developed. So those sorts of activities around Roselle, where there was there, Annandale, Dulwich Hill, all those style of areas and, and Leichhardt were, were very popular um, for cycling. But, you know, Lincoln and Auburn Club, which it is today, was actually an Auburn Club and Lincoln Club. So there was certain areas. Um, and, they'd have the, and they would have the advantage because they were further down the Parramatta River, it'd be easier if they had a, it'd be easy to locate a potential connector. So if they didn't want to do a ride, say, to the north, they actually could. Well, they could have, yeah. And I think that's why you'll see, that's why the city to Goulburn and all those sort of races were down south, because that's where a lot of the clubs were. You know, my father raced for Roselle, Petersham, um, and our Lincoln first Roselle and Petersham. So, and then he finally ended up at Dulwich Hills. So, and then I raced at Dulwich Hills as well. So when you look at those areas, uh, and quite interestingly, um, it, it brings to the point, I guess, from your, from your audience on the north side, uh, Manly actually has a quite interesting history. Um, the Manly Club um, originally, and it's actually on their club website, um, actually started in 1885. Jeez, it's over 20 years old, 120 years old. Yeah, so mm. when you actually think about that, 1885, um, just to give you an understanding of that at the time, in New South Wales, in 1897, uh, there was only a 1,000 registered cars. Um, and in 1910, in New South Wales, there was only 2,350 registered cars and 2,000 motorcycles registered. So when you actually look at the Manly Club, that history there, and there's actually a book written um, called Alive with Wheels by historian George Champion. It's on their club website. Um, you know, you can actually see 1885. Now, when you go back in the history of cycling, um, that's actually when penny farthings and early bikes were around. 
So these are actually there. So you actually get the manly by 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 that. Uh, I guess the old uh, ferries. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to go into the Northern Corridor for cycling. But this it has been a fascinating investigation so far, and there's plenty more to come straight after this. You are listening to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Of course, we do this for our station sponsors, Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore, and the all about caring Sydney Bears Ice Hockey Club, your champions, Sydney Bears in the Australian Ice Hockey League. We'll be right back after this. 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season has concluded with your All About Caring Sydney Bears winning it all. That doesn't mean it's all over for the year on the hockey front. Log on to bearsshop.com.au for all your Bears merchandise options. And stay tuned to Splinters and the Bench for updates coming out of the Australian Women's Ice Hockey League and the world's top competition, the National Hockey League. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at TuneIn Radio, at podcast.com, Apple Tunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your good podcasts and indeed some of your bad ones. Of course, we do it all for the action attraction of the North Shore, Magpies Waitara, and the All About Caring Sydney Bears, your championship winning All About Caring Sydney Bears Ice Hockey Club. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso, and we're into part two of our discussion on cycling in the Northern Corridor and in New South Wales. I'm joined here by Warren Donnelly. And from our starting point, we're now gotten into what everyone wants to know about, which is going to be indeed cycling on the North Shore. And I think one of the great points parts to start off with is really looking into the history of some of the clubs that have existed around the Northern Corridor um, for for some of the clubs well over 100 years, as you mentioned before. Yeah, so that one um, I mentioned previously, which was the Manly Club, and it's very good if you go and see on their history on their um, current um, cycling website. Um, 1885 was where it started um, over there in Manly, and that was way before the Sydney Harbour Bridge was um, built. So certainly way ahead, and things mentioned in here on, on the website is actually around the penny farthing bicycles. Um, and there is a book um, written by an historian, uh, Alive with Wheels, um, George and Sheila Champion. So it's actually quite um, historical, I guess, from that point of view. Um, and also to some of uh, that starting of that club, the Manning Club was way, way before um, some of the clubs on uh, the Lower North Shore and also other parts of Sydney. Now, surprisingly enough, there are actually some amazing cycle routes around um, around the Northern Corridor itself. Some are very picturesque. Some are actually quite challenging as well. One of the one of the more pop, I guess, one of the more popular rides you could get is uh, around that sort of St Ives, St Ives up to Karingai run through the uh, the Karingai Chase National Park. Yeah. So if you look at that whole Pitwater Corridor, there's all these roads. So you got West Head, Coonabay, Bay, then up into the Bobbin Head all through there. So there is quite a few rides. Um, over time, I think it's a bit unfortunate for cyclists that some of these roads aren't wide enough yeah. or have enough cycling um, markings. Uh, but again, it's part of the, partly the terrain as well. Some of those roads are some of the old traditional cut-in roads, mm-hmm. uh, which have only been cars. Some, 
sometimes even the cars can't pass properly, let alone cycles and cars. So, so what are the big, what are the big clubs? We mentioned Manly. What are some of the other ones? Maybe even around uh, along that Pacific Highway run. Yeah, yeah. So, um, from that point of view, Northern Suburbs is certainly a club that's running up there. Uh, it's been around there for a while, and I think I mentioned before that it was partly a combination of Hornsby and the Northern Suburbs original club. Um, also, to you've got. Um, the Peloton Sports, which just ran out of Taramara Cycling, that was established in, 19, in 2002. But these other clubs actually go back a long way. So Northern Suburbs was 1930. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of areas around that. So, you've so they, got, celebrate, they celebrate 90 years next year. They do. Mm. They do. Um, also, you've got um, Busy Sport, which was started by Mike O'Reilly in uh, 1995, I think it was. He started that. Um, yeah, 995, um, and actually Mike and I went to Macquarie University together, and uh, he was a couple of years ahead of me, uh, but certainly a good bike rider in his day, and has run busy sports since then, uh, and run a lot of international and local tours. So there's there, even Lake, Lake, Lane Covello, um, run out of Lane Cove, that's, that's running through there, the Manly Club I mentioned, um, Bike North, which is more of a casual riding sort of thing, but you can hold your New South Wales cycling license through there. Okay. So there's there, and I, I had previously mentioned, but you know, clubs like um, Camaray Roadies, which look appear, appear to me to be uh, more of a um, group bike riding, exercising style thing, and I'm sure they can actually run their licenses. So look, there's some of the ones that I've seen now, but look, previously, uh, if I go back to it, um, even on the North Shore, um, interesting at this stage is you haven't mentioned Anthony but I mean uh, cycling to some extent was always appeared to be maybe a, a male sport but actual fact very much, there, yeah. there was women involved in the sport so um, back in um, I've got here uh, a document that one of uh, the Dolly Shaw colleagues um, Mark Remerson has actually written and it's actually refers to um, in 19 in 1899, there was a club called the Sydney Ladies Bicycle Club, and there was the Ladies Auxiliary North Sydney Bicycle Club of 1899 as well. So, and they were actually appeared to be tied up with the rise of the feminist movement back then. So, look, cycling women participating a lot more and have for decades now. But back in those days, even you can imagine lady, ladies riding a bike with a dress and a tie they would have to wear would actually be quite quite amazing. Well, and you imagine, you, can you imagine what they what it would be like for the for the people of yesteryear to see some of the the women cyclists competing today, and, and certainly to them the the concept of of women riding bicycles, the, the fact that they had to redesign bikes um, to suit the clothing at the time was expected for women. These days, now you just don't see, you don't see that anymore. That's so. right. So look, other clubs that came around, which I sort of mentioned. Uh, Hornsby originally, but now North Shore, North Shore, but Crow's Nest Bicycle Club, all these around the 1907-1908, Willoughby District Bicycle Club, um, all of the North Shore. So these sorts of clubs actually were, did form and start um, on the North Shore uh, in, in that regard. And as you met, as I said before, way before uh, the Harbour Bridge was put in place. Now, one of the ones I'm going to bring up straight away, and it's, it's one that I've actually sort of, I, I even I have to admit, a bit of an interest in this one here, and it's a documentate. It's a the program from the first ever uh, New South Wales Metropolitan Road Cycling Championship, run by the Manly Ring Amateur Cycling Club, and the track that this ran through is is absolutely incredible. 
starting and finishing of all places in Warrywood. Yes, and I mean, you, it certainly attracted your attention because I think you've told me there's a bit of a family connection. And even for me, when I raced late 60s, uh, early 70s, this race was running right opposite the um, drive-in theatre there and opposite the markets. Uh, where everyone used to grow all their crops in the fields. One of those, one of those farms actually was directly across from that drive-in theatre. Was my grandfather's farm. So now, Anthony, I could say you've been looking at my paperwork here before we actually had this comment, <laughs> but you know, it is amazing. So um, there was a when you went up Monavar Road on the circuit. You see here, you see the map here. It went up Monavar Road up, up the hill called Tumble Down Dick. Yep. Then I went down the forest way. Now, there's a fa the fascinating story about the name Tumble Down Dick, and I think you've actually mentioned it's actually connected with cycling. Yeah, it, it is. Not? I think it is. It's so, um, but yeah, you're saying down Tumble Down Dick um, through Terry Hills. Yes. Then down Forest Way to Warringah Road, and then back up the Wakers Park. Then That's back right. up the Wakers Park. Yeah, way. and it shows you there went into um, Garden Street. Yeah, and then finished in McPherson Street on the flush. It's fascinating to see that because when you think about the Wakers the Wakers Parkway as it was back in the sixties, of course that was a road that was originally built with the intention that that was going to be one road straight into the city, which of course never came to yeah. never came to fruition, but. The road itself, if you think about it from a cycling perspective, uh, it's not actually a, a big road, but it is, in terms of the scenery and the way that you sort of have to cycle in there would be an amazing experience going straight through the back of um, the back of the Wakers, the Wakers Park itself. Yeah, and look, I, I know while they actually, um, you'll see in big bold letters here is, please be careful, uh, road safety. Um, so while they do have some marshals on the road, there was no police... Um, protecting the roads or whatever. It was actually pretty much uh, the cyclists were racing on the road at the same time as normal citizens were driving their car. So it could be quite dangerous. And I do remember back in those days when I first started racing, when my father used to take me out to these sorts of races, and you know, I think it was, says here that Frank Franson um, and Gary Teague, and Gary Teague was a very good bike rider in his day, which were from the Manly Club. So when you start looking at some of these programs, um, Manly, uh, actually did have some quite good representation uh, in, in that club. Um, some of the RPA people were in the club too. So, you know, all very good sort of people uh, in that area. But quite uh, amazing how in that area you see the people even advertising then. Um, price leaders, um, Jack Fitzgerald, ex-champion, uh, Health Olympic Studio, all these sorts of businesses on the Northern Peninsula. I wouldn't know whether they're still around today. But certainly quite amazing um, being advertised here. Well, the you mentioned before about the, the that security side of it as well. You might about home and a couple of marshals not having the police um, presence that you would have these days. Now you, you almost can't do it without um, at, at least some sort of uh, at, at bare minimum some sort of police notification for a major event like this. And these days now you'd almost need at certain aspects of a police escort to. To complete the event, especially if it's a very busy thoroughfare. Yeah, look, it does, I think if you go, if you participate, any of the, your audiences participated in the city to Gongride, you'll notice how that's actually quite um, protected, um, set up. You've got to get a lot of notice. There's certain police and certain records, and of course, the organisers of these bike races, whether they be for charity in leisure or professional and actually racing, have actually got to pay the police department to actually sort of pro provide that sort of service to, again, protect, um, I guess, the cyclists, um, any spectators, and also car 
car drivers not being able to run into bike bike riders, which doesn't end well at best of times. Let's talk about the social aspect of it, um, because we often a lot of people when they when they go around for a drive, especially on the weekend, per se, they'll see a big group of cyclists, especially in the morning, doing their um, almost doing their week their weekend runs. If someone wanted to get involved with it, how easy is it, and you know, how much how big is that social aspect? Just getting yourself getting your feet wet almost yeah. uh, with cycling. I think the clubs have developed a lot. Again, it's part of people dynamics. It's like any sporting clubs, whether it be soccer, cricket, as you as you know, anyhow on a regular basis, uh, you've got to take that first step in front up um, and try to get to the local club. You also, got to try and get the right people in the club because there are the clubs do have a certain, I guess, a bunch of members who will actually take younger people or people under their wing if you're older and you're not used to bike riding, and they'll sort of assess where you're at and work out what level you need to ride at and how you may need to be trained or led. So look, it's that sort of thing. Secondly, yeah, look, I'm still a member of the Dollar Chill Bike Club and that actually has a mixture of some competitors and some social riders, but end of the day, there's a lot, still a lot of clubs that just go out for bunch rides. I know some of the, the guys around my age, they're still going out in the middle of the week um, up on the M7 and a few other rides and they're actually just going in fairly good reasonable bunches. You know, so look, it's, you've got to meet your horses for courses and, and the level. So you've got to get a bit of an assessment and sort of work out what's best for you. And so once you once you get that level, where how do you how do you ascertain what level you're at, where you think you could go, and then what training sort of comes with it? So well, it's a bit like motor car racing or anything, especially these sorts of sports. If you keep winning the bike race, you're going to be pretty good. Yeah. And if you go to the next level, start at C level and go to B and go to A and you keep winning, well, you're going to keep going to the next level. And then the training within the club itself, would you have one or two members within the club who would be sort of their main role would almost be as a trainer? As it, as well, it there is some trainers within the clubs as well, yes. Yeah. So, so they do. I know the Busy Sport Club actually have some trainers for their, their teams and some of the guys take on that role and do that. So I think it's very important. So again, you've got to accommodate the different ages and years and the different levels. Because I was mentioning, I was noticing with the uh, with the program you got from the um, Metropolitan Road Cycling is that you've got a sub juveniles and a juveniles division, which I imagine would be some of your uh, younger riders, especially maybe what say uh, juniors into your teenage years for your sub juniors to juniors. Um, I, I have to look at the categories nowadays, but look, years ago it was um, eighteen was when you turned to a senior. Yeah. Um, juniors was from 16, juveniles was from 14, and I think sub-juveniles were from 12 or something like that. So, look, at the end of the day, it does range through that. that, that those categories don't uh, they do it in a different way now. But in that regard, uh, yes, they do tier them and they try to keep them to their age groups. Yeah. The, I guess, building up, then once you build up, you've established yourself. They will have a, I imagine what they might do is they might have a series of circuits that they would go around. Um, so maybe, I think, what, one week they might pick one particular track, the next week they might go a different uh, different route altogether. Yeah, look, um, so for example, Lincoln Club, I know they actually do out at Homebush Bay in the mornings. Yeah. Uh, they do out there, that's still on open roads. But if you look at um, out near Ramwick Botany there, they, they'd operate out of Heffron Park. Heffron is a closed park. Yeah. So no traffic or anything there. You can ride around Centennial Parks in the morning. Um, that's pretty good. Um, it doesn't start getting a bit um, crowded, so the earlier you get there, the better. Uh, also at Lansdowne, which I think is Bankstown Sports area. Look, there is areas where you can ride without uh, there, but eventually when you get to up in a higher level, uh, you need to get more kilometres under your, under your saddle 
and that's when you've got to get out as you go up through the grades onto bigger, longer roads. The where do you think the sport needs to go next in terms of its um, development? As we mentioned at the top of the show, we've seen the we've seen the the growth in social riding, and we're starting to maybe see a bit more growth within the competitive, say, the competitive side. Where does the sport as a whole need to go next? Is it is it at continuing to develop that social side, or is it now starting to build that pathway up into the elite level? Look, I think the social side certainly has developed significantly for a whole bunch of reasons. One is I think people are doing it for exercise and fitness. I think also they're doing it for um, outdoor activities in that regard. And I do think the uh, the cafe culture, as people would know, is certainly alive and well in that regard, which I think is bred off all those European circuits. And you can go on um, now tours. So you can go on um, tours, cycling tours in Europe or in America or any, anywhere like that and through Asia. But you know, it's fantastic. I went to the Juro in 2015 absolutely fantastic event to go to and you can actually ride to different activities or points uh, and then you can have your meal during the day at night so it's a very good carnival atmosphere in that regard but in, in locally in australia now if you go to melbourne certainly huge cafe culture uh, and i think that that's that just breeds that social activity and club members are pretty good you know everyone sort of uh, likes competing against each other there's friendly banter and also to this different level, so it's quite good. Well, it's, it's interesting you sort of mention that in terms of the cafe culture itself. During my time when I used to deliver, uh, one of my early jobs when I was at university was delivering bread around the northern beaches and North Shore. Um, the A lot of the places that I would be stopping into would be some of the local IGA, some of which are, do we do have to declare an interest, do sponsor the station as a whole. Um, but the one in particular would be, uh, there's, there's two... Um, there were two stores in particular where they used to have a very large cycling um, club turning up to um, to have co uh, coffees and meals at the local cafe. One of them would be the North Taramara store on yep. uh, on Bobbin Head on Bobbin Head Road. Yes, and the second one was actually Golston. Right. So I've, I've never been to the. I, I've been by the Taramara store. Uh, I did see on their website though they they've got their own little coffee shop, so that's awesome. Really, to have that. Yeah, I, I saw that up on the Gold Coast a couple of years ago. Some of the bike shops had their own coffee um, shops as well. Yeah, but you know they've got a strong culture, the Taramara um, team up there. So they've got a pretty good cycle shop, big activity, good competition, um, and and it does well. I haven't been to the Goldstone one. Um, that would be yeah. that would be challenging when you think about it, because anyone who anyone who hasn't been through the gorge. Um, especially if you haven't been through there on anything that can actually get around there quickly enough, it's an experience. Well, I possibly might end up myself taking one of my classic cars out with my wife and we'll go and check out that cafe. So, uh, yes, it certainly is a challenge. I think there is a ride here in Sydney. They call the Three Gorges. The Three Gorges. So what that would be, that would be what? The Galston, Bur I think, what? Could Bur be Barara. And uh, maybe what? Potentially Wiseman's Ferry? Could be a Wiseman's Ferry or it could be Bobbit here, I can't remember, but yeah. I, I've heard of it, heard of it. But that's, that wouldn't be easy because especially um, especially the Hornsby side of Galston um, is can be a, a massive challenge, not just because of how steep the roads are to, up and down, but the challenge of trying to evade traffic is part of it as well. Well, again, going down is always easy, Yeah. Um, but it is tight bends and tight corners on that Galston because... Uh, when I was racing, I used to go from um, 
Firedock up through Galston Gorge before school. The Ford Street of Petersham, yeah, uh, most days. So it is a long way up, but yes, it's the going up, which is tough because the roads are narrow. Yeah, uh, and drivers do get frustrated going up. But you know, I mean, again, we're very fortunate. To some extent, some of our hills aren't too long, so they're not yeah. kilometres and kilometres long. So we, we've been through some of this amazing, um, amazing documentation you've got here, and just sort of bringing back up, I can see obviously the. Sydney Six Days race based around Henson Park back in 1954. But the one that also that's also got me very intrigued is the two uh, Olympic Games programs that you've got. And I imagine that's from Melbourne 1956, correct? They are. So this is the um, actual original programs here from the velodrome and from the road cycling course at Broad Meadow. So it actually is for that from those games. And it's from the, I guess, the collection that my father had, which I'm trying to make sure and aim to get digitised and um, stored. So, look, there might be some areas around this, and if any of your listeners are out there, to assist in with any club memorabilia, but I would certainly urge all the clubs to try and get any history they can. Um, I noticed Manly Northern Suburbs have done a good job of putting some of the history on their, on their sites. Um, but any of this other memorabilia I've got here, I wouldn't mind getting scanned and actually archived. So... More recently, I've been in touch with Cycling New South Wales and uh, what I've been able to do is um, get in touch with the Heritage um, Group and Dennis Setka and uh, Mark Windsor, who are actually on their Heritage Council. I've been talking to them in regard to getting some of this done. So Mark actually um, is looking to do a, a podcast around uh, my father, Arthur Donnelly and Harold Johnson, who were best of buddies through the time. And for me, um, over the time, I've just donated to, um, I guess, through Dennis into the New South Wales Library is um, the annual reports for New South Wales. Um, I had from 23 right through up until the 1990s. Jeez, wow. Uh, and these were all original copies with some, I guess, double copies from 64. Um, and um, Dennis and uh, New State New South Wales had a lot. But so what from these is um, I've also got things like I've got um, programs from the road race from City to Golden from 1921 all the way through. So if any of the um, club members or previous people have family or previous members who want to get in touch, we can see if they're in those races. Um, I've got a full set from the RPL Light Card, um, 100 from 67 to 73. Um, I'm doing a lot of work for, I guess, getting some stuff together for Norm for the Lincoln Morgan. Um, and Dennis is doing a lot of work in regard to that. But look, I've got about 40 clippings from um, going back to late 30s on um, newspaper articles. So there's a lot of material here. And of course, you've got the, um, one, of the big, one of the big documentations you've got here is the Australian Cycling Championships from 1888 to 2017, um, which is coupled by Dennis um, Sekar, as you mentioned before. A great read, more of a, I guess, uh, more of a documentation of the results of, of, of some of these events, but certainly a wonderful basis to start a, a piece of research with. Well, Dennis has certainly done a good job on this Australian one, and uh, I met him the other week uh, in regard to this, and he's in the process of doing the New South Wales one now. But again, where cycling has come from over the years, you know, traditionally it was, I guess, road and track, but now this has got BMX, mountain bike, trial bikes, and cyclocross sort of competitive nature so and some of these are actually now olympic um categories within uh, the olympics um, yeah absolutely we've seen that as well and we've seen different variations for track cycling and now 
starting up, especially I think from a couple of uh, Olympic events ago, the starting of the Kieran as a That's as right. a fully blown event, something that a lot of people were surprised actually became an event. But then all, I think the funny thing is became fans almost immediately because, of course, the Australians are actually quite strong at Kieran. Well, also, too, um, if you look at a little bit of history, is that the Japanese have been strong many, many years. Kieran is the main professional gambling cycling sport in ah, Japan. Ah, okay. So, yeah, Kieran's actually quite a, quite a good event. So with... With the with the project that you've got on, what is going to be what is your intention to do um, to do is you're going through and archiving a lot of the documentation. Is there the scope that there could be a almost a historical documentation book in the future? Well, how I started this originally was I was going to start writing a, a book of one on, on my family and then my father and uh, with Harold, and then what I started to do is like for Harold, he was actually quite a Quite a good cyclist, the race to England for the Viking professional one. Uh, New South Wales title. He was also a trainer for Dave Watson and Dick Paris over the years who went to Olympics. So, but what then happened is I started to get a bit sidetracked off that and then had a couple requests for material, uh, of which one is Norm Sargent with the uh, this 100th centenary for Lincoln Morgan. So, look, it's sort of taken another little spin at the moment, but all of it's going to be quite useful. Uh, and putting it together, and um, I'd like to see um, a lot of it just digitised, whether it be scanned and that, and then recorded properly. So, look, I would encourage any of the clubs to actually put some in their local libraries, uh, with all some of the collection first. So of course, my father raced in Dolly Hill Club and was life member of the club and life member of Cycling New South Wales, and uh, a commissar and official there. Um, I've donated a lot of work and material to the Inner West Library now, which is the old Marigpool uh, light card library. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a good start. And uh, like Dennis has now put that one into some of the reports into New South Wales library. Yeah. So, and again, I think Cycling New South Wales are going to try and expand some of the heritage uh, aspects of the cycling. Um, yes, it is a s small sport, uh, but as you can see, 2.3 million participating in it from different areas, there is an interest. Uh, and if any of those people do get interested in cycling, they might have family heritage or history, which might be of interest to people. So just like, you know, I do more around the classic cars now. It's interesting to see the history of cars and who's owned them and Providence and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. And 2.3 million people can't be wrong when it comes to something like this. That's so, right. So, look, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any sort of documentation, we'll be providing um, some of Warren Donnelly's uh, details on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll make that available as part of the uh, the posting of this podcast. So make sure you check it out. Get in contact with Warren Donnelly if you've got any further documentation you would like to see included or indeed some any sort of stories that you might, might like to see as part of this archiving. Because um, who knows, you, enough stories, you might see a, a book come out on the, in the future for this. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full time here on, uh, on Splinters. It's probably one of the more fascinating and eclectic um, talks that we'll have uh, on Splinters, but certainly one that's rich in its history around, um, around cycling. I want to thank Warren Donnelly for joining us here, and certainly we hope to have him again sometime soon. Maybe, just maybe, 
to preview the uh, the tours. Yeah, that would be quite good. I think we'll get a couple of other people along. It would be great. Absolutely. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. Well, that is full time here on Splinters. Thank you once again for joining us. And, of course, we do it all for the action attraction of the North Shore, Magpies Waitara, and the All About Caring Sydney Bears, your championship winning All About Caring Sydney Bears from the Australian Ice Hockey League. This has been Anthony the Bull Caruso coming to you for Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Google Play, Apple Tunes, and wherever you get your good podcasts and indeed some of your bads. That is full time here, and we wish you all a very good evening. We hope to see you again next time. Mm-hmm.